Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, today we continue in our sermon series entitled, You Keep Using That Bible Verse, I Do Not Think It Means What You Think It Means. Our inspiration for these messages comes from a classic moment in the 1987 movie Princess Bride. Um, in the movie Princess Bride, there is a lead villain, a lead bad guy. His name is Vizzini. It's a very fun name to say, Vizzini. And throughout the movie Princess Bride, Vizzini amusingly uses the word inconceivable to describe situations that unfold flawlessly. These situations unfold without a hitch. And so finally, his co-bandit says to him, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. While taking our cue from that memorable line, our goal in these sermons is to dive into commonly misused Bible verses commonly misused Bible verses. We don't want to misuse these Bible verses. Instead, we want to better understand, more faithfully understand their overall context. This way, we can responsibly apply the truth of these verses to our lives today, our situation today, as we seek to follow God in this world. Amen? And so last week, as we kicked off this series, we began with the well-known Old Testament verse, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, which goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. We talked about how so often in our culture, people read that verse from Jeremiah 29, 11 as a guarantee of a successful future filled with ease and comfort, no pain, no hardship, no conflict, no stress, but in actuality, those words in Jeremiah 29, 11 are part of a larger letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to God's people during one of the hardest periods of their history, the Babylonian exile. Now, what had happened was King Nebuchadnezzar, who you probably remember from your history books, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he came into the nation of Judah where God's people were living, and he destroyed that nation. He destroyed the holy city of Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple that King Solomon had built. And then on top of all that, took God's people into exile, where they stayed for how long? Do you remember? Seventy years. You all are very good. Seventy years. A long time. So Jeremiah wrote those words as a way to provide hope in the midst of despair, reminding the people, teaching the people that even though things were bad and difficult, God had not left them. God had not forsaken them. God still had a plan and a purpose for them as a nation. And then after exploring that context, we ended the sermon last week by emphasizing how Jeremiah 29.11 teaches us to submit our lives to God and to trust God's ways, God's plans, even when those plans differ from our own. Well, this morning, as we continue our journey through this sermon series, 
we now come to another misused Bible verse, this time from the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It's up here on the screen. Let's read it together. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is the Word of God for the people of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Well, folks, just as we observed with Jeremiah 29, 11, this verse from Philippians, Philippians 4.13, has been used to convey messages far beyond its intended meaning. Can we go back in time this morning? Let's go back to November of 1996. Do you remember what you were doing in November of 1996? Some of you are saying, I can't remember what I was doing last week. <laughs> November of 1996. Well, I can tell you what one guy was doing. His name was Evander Holyfield. You ever heard of Evander Holyfield? Evander Holyfield was set to go up against, and of course, Evander Holyfield, legendary boxer, known as the Real Deal. That was his nickname. Well, Evander Holyfield was set to go up against another great boxer, and what was his name? Mike Tyson. I remember my father ordered pay-per-view just to watch this match. I learned this week that almost two million people tuned in to watch this match between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. Well, when Evander Holyfield stepped into the boxing arena, and we have a picture of this up here, he had the verse, Philippians 4.13, embroidered on the shorts that he was wearing. Boldly proclaiming, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. The use of this verse suggested what? Jesus is going to help me defeat Mike Tyson. He's going to help me knock out Mike Tyson. And do you remember what happened? He won the fight. He emerged victorious. I mean, yes, he got part of his ear bit off during that fight, but <laughs> nevertheless, he still won. And people, they were excited, and they cheered, and they were inspired. Yeah, Evander Holyfield, you are the real deal. You could do everything through Christ who gives you strength. And then what happened about two years later, he wore the same robe or the same shorts with the same verse for his fight with Lennox Lewis, and he lost. He was defeated. And so I guess the verse didn't work that time. Another celebrity athlete known for wearing and drawing inspiration from Philippians 4.13 is NBA All-Star Steph Curry. You ever heard of Steph Curry? Who does he play for? Golden State Warriors. Well, he actually puts Philippians 4.13 on one of his shoes. Here's what he says. Philippians 4.13 represents a Bible verse I wear on my shoe. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's also my mantra, how I get up for games and why I play the way I do. Now, I don't mean to pick on athletes, because athletes are not the only people who pull from this verse. Do you know who else pulls from this verse? Students do. In school, they're sitting down in class. The teacher comes in, and she says, okay, everybody, clear your desk. There's going to be a pop quiz this morning. Oh, my goodness, they haven't studied the material. So what do they do? Invoke the words of Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter that I didn't study. 
It doesn't matter that I didn't do the reading. Jesus is going to help me with this pop quiz. But all this being said, my personal favorite misuse of Philippians 4.13, you got to understand, I have a really bizarre sense of humor. So my personal favorite misuse of Philippians 4.13 is found in this comic uh, that I saw on Facebook one day. You have this guy up here. His name is Tom. And poor Tom, he is having such a hard time opening up a pickle jar. And so he recites Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then this person over here, presumably his wife, says, it's a pickle jar, Tom. Twist the lid. Not Scripture. <laughs> that is a great segue to what we're talking about this morning in this sermon. Because that's what we've essentially done as a culture. Maybe not on purpose, maybe not intentionally, but we have twisted the Scripture. We have twisted the Scripture in such a way that we have extracted meaning from these words that isn't there. In fact, in some sense, what we have done is we have taken the message of Philippians 4.13 and we have replaced it with the essence of Pinocchio. Do you remember Pinocchio? Famous Disney movie? How does the story go? Well, there's this woodmaker. What's his name? Geppetto. He creates this wooden puppet, and he wants to be a father. He wants this puppet to become a real boy. And so he looks outside his window one night, and he sees a wishing star. And he wishes upon that star for Pinocchio to become a real boy. And then my favorite part of that scene is when Jiminy Cricket is in the background, and he says, oh, that's so nice, but it's not very practical. Now, you have a talking cricket saying that that's not practical, but... <laughs> but anyway, he sees that star, wishes for Pinocchio to become a real boy, and then there's that Disney song that plays softly, instrumentally. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires, finish it, will come to you. Well, here's what we've done. We've taken Philippians 4.13... For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And here's what we've reduced it to. When you say Philippians 4.13, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires, if you want to go up against Mike Tyson, if you want to win a basketball game, if you want to ace a quiz that you didn't study for, if you want to open up a pickle jar, anything your heart wants, the Lord's going to give it to you. However, the true essence of this verse goes beyond these interpretations. If we want to really understand what Philippians 4.13 is conveying, we first have to go back to the context in which this verse is located. You see, folks, just like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, Philippians 4.13 is also part of a letter. Philippians 4.13 is part of a letter that the apostle Paul wrote while he was imprisoned. Now, Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament. Uh, actually, they're not really books, they're letters that he penned. And four of those letters were written while Paul was in prison. He wrote Ephesians while he was in prison. He wrote Colossians while he was in prison. He wrote Philemon while he was in prison. And he wrote Philippians while he was in prison. We're not entirely sure where Paul was in prison during this period because he was imprisoned a lot over the course of his ministry. 
But if you were to ask most scholars, they would probably say that Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote Philippians, that he was under house arrest there. Uh, what had happened was Paul had founded, or he was one of the persons, who had founded this congregation in Philippi, and we have Philippi up here on the screen, or a map of Philippi. He had helped to found this congregation in Philippi about 10 years earlier. You see, Paul was a missionary by vocation, and so his responsibility, he was commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to go around the world, um, the world as he knew it back then, to preach the gospel and to establish churches. And so Philippians was one of the churches, or this church in Philippi was one of the churches that Paul had helped to establish. Now, I mentioned that Paul was a missionary, and I'm reminded of the fact that one time, uh, this was maybe, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago, I had a friend who was a missionary. He's not a missionary anymore. Now he's a pastor in a local church like me. But at one point when he was a missionary, he came and he visited me and he spoke at the church that I was serving. And so he and I were having breakfast one morning. And I said, well, Mike, tell me what, it, what it's like to be a missionary. And he said, well, Chris, life as a missionary isn't easy. One challenge that we missionaries face is not having a predictable stream of income. Missionaries have to rely on the support and the generosity of local churches, as well as boards and agencies. The thing is, in the ancient world, when Christianity first got off the ground, there were no boards. There were no agencies. Instead, there was simply local churches, like this church in Philippi, that Paul had helped to found, that Paul had a good relationship with. And so what happened was, this Philippian congregation pulled their resources together because they believed in Paul and they wanted to support Paul. They pulled their resources together and offered a gift to Paul, and they gave this financial gift to a member of the congregation. Anybody remember his name? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. That's a fun name to say, just like Vizzini. Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus took this financial gift from the Philippians. He risked his own life and he brought the gift to Paul while he was incarcerated, again, presumably in Rome. This way, Paul could use that financial gift to get better accommodations because you were able to do that back then. You could take some of that money and you could pay Roman officials and get better lodging or better food while under house arrest, or he could use that money to fund some other aspect of his ministry. While Paul was so grateful to have received this gift from the Philippians, that he sat down and he wrote this letter as a way of expressing his gratitude. And then he gave this letter to Epaphroditus, intending for Epaphroditus to bring the letter back to the congregation so everybody could read it. And so with this context in mind, listen to what Paul says here toward the end of this letter. I would invite you, by the way, read Philippians at some point this week. It's not very long, four chapters long. This is what Paul says toward the very end. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, how I, that would be Paul, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, he clarifies, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, 
I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then here's the verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well, the Philippians have done well, to share with me in my present difficulty. What's the present difficulty? The fact that he's in prison right now. So in this portion of Philippians, here's what Paul says, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Thank you so much for this gift. I'm really grateful. Truly, I am. But I want you to understand that even without that gift, I would have been okay. I would have been fine. You see, I've been in situations in the past where I've had plenty And I've been in situations in the past where I've had practically nothing. But in all situations, I have learned how to live, how to adapt to that particular situation. Listen again to what he says in verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And then let's read this next part together. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. We're going to park right here, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about that line because there is more going on here than we as modern readers can see. There are nuances going on here that would have been clear to the audience reading this that aren't necessarily clear to us. When Paul says, I have learned the secret, I have learned the secret, he's actually drawing from language that was prevalent in mystery cults back then. Mystery cults. Cults were very prevalent in the ancient world. And when you joined a cult in those days, there was knowledge that you acquired, knowledge that you learned that everybody else didn't necessarily know, and that knowledge initiated you into that cult. Now, this is not a great analogy or a great comparison But in a similar sense, today, when you join a fraternity or when you join a sorority when you're in college, there is knowledge that you learn, isn't there, that makes you a part of that social group. For example, when I was in college, I was a Theta Chi. And in order to become a Theta Chi, I had to go through initiation, right? I had to learn certain things that weren't common to everybody else. And so if I meet you in public... Let's say I run into you at the grocery store, and you're wearing a t-shirt that says Theta Chi, and I suspect that you're a Theta Chi like me, there is a question that I will ask you. I learned this question when I went through initiation. I'm not going to tell you what the question is, because that would be breaking code, I think. But there is a specific question I'll ask you, and if you answer that specific question in a specific way, what does that say to me? Yeah, you're a Theta Chi, just like I am. So when you joined a mystery cult in those days, You went through this process of initiation. You learned certain things. Paul is drawing from all that when he uses this phrase, I have learned the secret. The secret of what? I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Not some situations, but every situation. Now, in addition to mystery cults being prevalent back then, Paul is also writing in a world where Stoic philosophy ruled the day. And Stoics held, among other things, 
Remember, he's writing to a Greco-Roman culture. Stoics held, among other things, that we humans cannot always control what happens to us. And that's true, isn't it? It is true that we can't always control the things that happen to us. We're driving in the car, we're in an accident, somebody else is at fault, or maybe we get a bad diagnosis, or somebody we love dies. We can't always control what happens to us. How do you respond to these situations? Well, according to Stoics, you respond to these difficult situations by adopting an attitude of calmness. Don't let it phase you. Don't let it bother you. Rise above all that. And the way you do this is by relying on your own strength, your own efforts. So, to summarize, Paul says in verse 12, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Number one, he's drawing from this cultic idea that his audience would have been familiar with. And as an aside, when people say, oh, I'm not really sure, is it appropriate for us to draw from culture when preaching the Christian message? Is it appropriate for us to draw from movies? Is it appropriate for us to draw from literature? Is it appropriate for us to draw from sources that aren't explicitly Christian? My answer would be yes. You know why? Because people in the Bible did this. Paul did this on numerous occasions. That's why Paul said he was all things to all people. He knew how to connect to people, whether those people were Jewish, whether those people were Gentile, outside the Jewish faith, no matter what their background was, he wanted to connect with them because he wanted these people to have a relationship with Jesus. So he wanted to speak their language. He takes this cultic idea that they would have known about, been familiar with, and then he also borrows from Stoic philosophy and he reinterprets its conclusion. Here's what he says. Thank you for this financial gift. But I would have been okay without that gift because I have learned the secret. In other words, I have been initiated into the secret of living in every situation. And guess what? I'm going to tell you what the secret is. Are you listening? It's not to be self-sufficient like the Stoics say. It's not to ignore your circumstances or detach yourself from what you're going through. No, the real secret is this. The real secret is Jesus Christ and having a relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Not I can do everything through myself, but I can do everything through the person of Jesus Christ who lives in me and gives me the strength that I need. Put simply, Jesus is the secret to embracing our circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be. Good circumstances, bad circumstances, Jesus is the secret to embracing our circumstances and experiencing true contentment and joy. It's funny how nowadays people turn to Philippians 4.13 when they want something. And we've already given a few examples of that. What Paul is conveying is that with Jesus, he already has everything he needs. And that's more than sufficient. Paul is writing from prison. His freedom had been taken away, snatched from him. But even so, Paul was able to declare the simple and yet profound truth, Jesus is all sufficient. Jesus is all that I need. 
Have we, like the Apostle Paul, understood and embraced this truth? Or are we under the impression that our contentment comes from what's going on around us instead of what's happening inside of us and the relationship that we have and the peace that we have from knowing Jesus Christ? In his autobiography, Just As I Am, uh, the late Billy Graham shares how one time he and his wife Ruth were visiting an island in the Caribbean. Well, while they were there on that island, uh, there was a very wealthy person, actually one of the wealthiest people in the world, and he had a home there, and he invited Ruth and Billy Graham to his home for lunch. A lavish home, beautiful home, overlooking the island. The man was about 75 years old, and as they were having this meal, Billy and Ruth Graham could tell that he was distracted, that he was on the edge of tears. And finally, he just blurted out to them, I am the most miserable person around. I have a yacht outside right now. I could get on that yacht and go anywhere I want to go. I also have a private airplane, and I have a helicopter. And yet, despite having all these things, having everything that I could ever want, I am as miserable as hell. Billy and Ruth Graham listened to the man. Their heart went out to him. They prayed with him. And they tried their best to point the man to Jesus, who alone gives everlasting meaning to life. Well, after lunch, they went back to the small cottage where they were staying. And they met a pastor of a nearby church. The pastor was a widower lost his wife some years beforehand. And in addition to caring for that church, he was also looking after his two sisters who weren't able to care for themselves. He had a lot of responsibility, more responsibility than probably one person should have. And yet despite all this, this man was full of contentment and joy and excitement and enthusiasm. He said to Billy and Ruth Graham, I don't have two pounds to my name, but I am the happiest man on this island. The source of that man's happiness wasn't his circumstances. Instead, like Paul had discovered and was telling the Philippian congregation, it was Jesus Christ. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Don't mishear what I'm saying in the sermon. It's not bad to try to improve our circumstances. It's not bad to try to improve our circumstances. We should do what we can to try to improve what we're going through right now. But if the Stoics were right about anything, the Stoics were right when they said that we can't always control what happens to us. There are things that happen that are beyond our sphere of influence. But the Stoics were wrong when they said that the key, that the answer to responding to these situations is to be self-sufficient and to rely on ourselves, our own strength, our own abilities, our own efforts. It's not. It's to rely on Jesus Christ. It's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus strengthened the Apostle Paul at the hour when Paul needed that strength most. He came to strengthen Paul later when Paul was eventually martyred for his faith. And Jesus strengthens us too, doesn't he? In the situations that we confront, 
in the hospital room, in the boardroom, in the courtroom, in the funeral home, at the cemetery. Jesus offers the assurance and the confidence that we need to know that He's ultimately in charge and that He's going to take care of us and that we're going to be okay. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're sitting here right now or you're watching the service online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you haven't come to know the peace that only the Lord Jesus can offer, then I would invite you to join me as we go to God in prayer together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for creating us, for loving us, for coming after us in Jesus Christ. You never leave us, you never forsake us, you never abandon us. You are always with us. And we know that there are situations that we confront that are hard to deal with. The Stoics were wrong. We can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on our own abilities. We can only rely on you. So give us the strength that we need. Remind us that you are in charge and that you will see us through and that you will provide for our every need. Not necessarily our every want, but you will certainly provide for our every need. Lord, I pray for anybody among us right now, either in this room or worshiping with us online, who hasn't yet said yes to your love, to your peace, to your grace, that your Holy Spirit would prompt them to do so now in these moments as I'm praying these words. And God, help all of us to commit ourselves to you, to live as your disciples. Continue to use us, God, so that more and more people might come to experience hope that is only found in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.